This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Father, we so bless you, not just for your great name, because it is great, but we bless you that you are great. You've been amazingly good to us. Not to just us as a church, but to each of us individually. This morning we've come to worship you. We've come to bless your name. We've come to open our hearts to you, to say, speak into our hearts and lives. So this morning, Lord, we gather in your name and your house with your people. We do so to honor and worship you. We bless you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It's a great morning to be in church, don't you think? You know, the amazing thing about church is when we gather here, some of us have had great weeks and some of us have had tough weeks. But you know, when we meet, God has a way of meeting us and ministering to us right where we are. A couple Sundays ago, I stood up here and I was very, very sick. Anytime I'm one of the first people to leave after church, you know that I'm really sick. I couldn't hug anybody. I didn't have any idea what to do and I can't hug people, so... It was, I was a mess that morning. And, you know, God was still with me in that week. And then this week I had kind of the opposite week of that. In fact, I walked into the bank on Friday to cash a check someone had given me for a favor I had done them. And they gave me a check and I glanced at it, put my wallet, I'd had it in there for, I don't know, a week or more. Uh, you know, I should just go and, and cash the check and that way it clears out of their bank account and so forth. So I went in and I, and I signed it and got everything ready and I walked up to the counter and actually one of the young guys from the church was the, was the teller and I looked at him and I looked back down at the check and I had missed a slight detail on the check. I thought the check was for $150. There was an, another zero on there. It was actually $1,500. Now that doesn't happen very often to me. Okay, And you know the great thing? That was an answer to prayer because uh, Monica and I had been praying about going to India and so forth. And that little zero uh, was a big part in enabling Monica to go to India when we go later on this year. So it was a great week for me. Oh, that was, uh, yeah, I I went to Panda Express and celebrated. (laughs) Yeah. I brought home Panda Express to Monica and she said, what's this for? I said, we have reason to celebrate. So whether you've had a great week or whether you've had a tough week, I'm so glad you're here at church this morning. And as Kevin said earlier, we're doing some things this morning that we have never done. I want to let you know right up front, we have a, we have a baptistry set up here. And we're going to give everyone who wants to an opportunity to spontaneously come and be baptized this morning. If you want to, I know some of you have been considering being baptized, and so I've prayed this morning that uh, God will work in all of our hearts and lives and meet us in a very, very special way. My part of this is uh, we're actually going to talk about two things this morning, and they are the only two physical symbols that Jesus gives the church. Now, there are lots of churches that have lots of symbols, and that's okay. For instance, we have a symbol right here, the cross. And yes, Jesus died on a cross. We've cleaned it up quite a bit since he died on it. So it's all painted nice and white and looks great. 
But, you know, Jesus didn't actually give that symbol to the church. That was something that, that Christians have adopted over the years. But there are two physical symbols that Jesus gives us as a church. One is communion and one is baptism. And they both point toward the cross. And so I'm going to teach you about communion this morning, and then Kevin's going to come and teach you about baptism. And we're going to do communion in the middle of the message. We're going to give everybody the opportunity to participate in communion this morning. So I want you to open your programs, if you would. Pull out the uh, notes that you find in there, the teaching notes, fill in the blank style, and follow along for those of you that I haven't met yet, and this is your first time here. My name is Ron, and uh, I'm the senior pastor of New Life, and I'm uh, excited to be able to teach you for the next few minutes. Um, teaching notes are something we do every single Sunday here, and so we're going to give you a chance to learn. Now, oftentimes we speak, in fact, virtually always we speak in series of sermons. This sermon stands by itself, and Oftentimes we work at behavioral sorts of things and allow God to speak into our life about the real issues that we work with. This morning it's going to be a little bit more, shall I say, theological in nature. I'm not going to use any words that you don't understand. And it's really going to be not so much about what we do with our hands, but I'm going to talk to you about something that's supposed to go on inside our hearts. So I want to encourage you, you have to bring your imagination with you this morning. Now there's two places that we use imagination, and both are good. One is Disneyland, okay, and, and, and things like that, where we're imagining a fantasy world. But there's, and, and that's where we dream up things that don't exist, and, and design things, and all sorts of things like that. That's a really good use of our imagination. But the second is something that you might not have considered before. Your imagination is what enables you to have compassion. When something happens to someone, if you could imagine that happening to you, what does it do for you? It enables you to feel to some degree what they feel. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to bring your imagination because when we talk about the physical symbols of communion and baptism, I'm going to ask you, if you can, to jump inside the skin of Jesus and, and imagine for a while what he went through. Because that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you got your imagination, let's jump right in to the, to the Scripture. And we're going to be reading, first of all, from Luke. Now I want to set the setting for us well Jesus, what Jesus is going to say, he says on the night that he's arrested, he's going to be tried, knowing that the next morning he's going to be crucified. So he has lived all 33 years of his life knowing that this day was coming, and unlike you and me, we don't typically know the day that our life will end, Jesus did. We don't typically know how our, our life will end, Jesus did. It's just hours before he knows what's going to happen. His heart's very heavy. He's sitting at a table with his 12 closest followers, and they are participating in the Jewish feast called the Passover. They're eating the Passover meal together. In the middle of the meal, this is what happens. Jesus took some bread, gave thanks, and broke it 
and gave it to the apostles saying, this is my body which I'm giving for you. Do this to remember me. I want you to underline that phrase. Would you please do this to remember me? In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new agreement that God makes with his people. This new agreement begins with my blood, which is poured out for you. You know, Jesus knew the battle of the ages was about ready to take place. It was the battle of eternity. Because there's a rule in heaven. Heaven, the purity of heaven is protected by an eternal rule. And here's the eternal rule. No one who is guilty of sin may ever enter heaven and live with God forever. Because if they could, it would ruin heaven. So heaven is protected by that rule. And so as God looked down on the earth and said, Okay, who is ready to come to heaven and be with me? He searched and searched and searched and searched, and he couldn't find one single person who was qualified to come and live with him forever in heaven. Why? Because in essence, the entire world had been shanghaied by Satan through sin. And so the only destiny that all of us had was to be eternally separated from God through death to protect the purity of heaven. And God said, that's not good enough. I'm not okay with that. Those are my children. I want to do something to save them. And so he did. You see, God couldn't just pretend we hadn't sinned. Someone had to take the penalty for our sin and pay for it. And the penalty for sin was separation from God through death. So God himself got up off of his throne. He came to earth. He took on a human body as Jesus Christ. He grew up as a baby, grew up as a child, went through all the things that you and I go through and lived a sinless life. And then he gave his life and tasted the poison of death for you and me. Friends, that's the story of the Bible in a nutshell. That's it. Because he died, because he took the penalty, because he drank the poison of death and separation from God through death, then you and I can be forgiven. And Jesus knew that was all coming down in about 12 hours. He knew the punishment that his body would be torn, which is why he took some bread, gave thanks. And what's the next two words it says? Gave thanks and what? Broke it. You know why? Because his body was going to be torn. If you've ever seen the passion of the Christ, you know what I'm talking about. His body was torn. In a few minutes, we're going to be passing trays On the trays, you're going to find small pieces of bread. Those pieces of bread represent the torn body of Christ. But I want to ask you to do something this morning that you probably don't normally do because those pieces are kind of small to begin with. But when the tray is passed to you and you take one of those pieces of bread, before you eat it this morning, I want you to break it. 
Because I want you to remember that Christ's body was broken and torn. Can you imagine Jesus taking the bread, looking at it, knowing it represented his own body, and then breaking it, knowing that was going to happen to him? Now, here's the plain and simple purpose of communion. Take a look at it up here. The purpose of communion is to remember Christ. Now, in your programs, I put a list that looks like this. And I wrote out this list in probably three or four minutes. And this is not an exhaustive list at all. But I've given it to you because I want you to put it in your Bible so that when you come here and we take communion Sunday after Sunday, there's a number of different things that you can focus on. Because it's not just remembering Jesus' death. It's remembering the spiritual realities that are connected with it. First one, communion reminds us of Jesus' death on Calvary. And if you've never heard the term Calvary, it simply was the name of the hill where Jesus was crucified. Okay? Next, communion reminds us of the cause of Jesus' death. And what's that? Our sins. It reminds us that God hates sin because of the way it destroys His people and His creation. Communion reminds us that God cannot and will not overlook sin. It reminds us that the ultimate and inescapable result of every sin is what? Death, yes. It reminds us that the one and only person who ever lived perfectly and lived this sinless life voluntarily sacrificed it for us. It reminds us that Jesus died so that we could be freed not only from the guilt of sin, but the practice of sin. It reminds us that we are unworthy. It reminds us of God's unfathomable love for us. It reminds us that God is gracious. It reminds us of our worth to God. You can read through the rest of those. Um, There are several of them. But this morning, rather than going deeper and deeper into the theology of communion, I want to go to the heart of communion, which is the purpose is to remember Christ. But Jesus spoke to the very heart of this in John chapter 6. And I want to take us through an interesting interchange between Jesus and the people of his day. They had come to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, we have an idea. You do miracles, right? Jesus said, right. And and they said, here's a miracle we'd love to see. You remember how Moses brought the bread of heaven called manna and gave it to the children of Israel every day for 40 years? How about you do that for us? Free bread for everybody. Now Jesus responds and says, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And then he's going to teach him a little bit later that the manna wasn't actually bread from heaven. It's a different kind of bread. And now he offers you the true bread, not manna, the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the, what's the next word? One. I want you to circle and underline the word one because they missed it. Is the true one, is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the bread of heaven is not a bunch of things that appear on the ground like manna. The bread of heaven is a person. Can you get that? 
Now listen to their response. They say this. Sir, they said, give us that bread how often? Every day. They wanted free bread every day. They just didn't get it. So then Jesus gets a little clearer. Notice what he says next. He replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, Jesus said, I've got something to give you you can't get at the local grocery store. And even if Moses was here and gave you manna, you couldn't get it from that either. Notice their response. The people began to murmur in disagreement. (laughs) Isn't this Jesus the son of Joseph? This is the dude from down the street, right? We know his father. We know his mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? Did they really know his father? No, they only knew who they thought his father was. So Jesus gets a little clearer. Notice what he says. Stop complaining about what I said. Yes, I am the bread of life. Now think about it. He said, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all what? If that was the bread of heaven, would they have died? Don't think so. He goes on to say, anyone who eats bread from heaven, however, will never die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is what? My flesh. Boy, if you thought they were confused before, they're really confused now. Take a look at their response. The people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus clears it up by saying this. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Pause right there. I have a question to ask you. Does that sound rather gross to you? Yeah. That's why I said you've got to bring your imagination with you. Because what Jesus is talking about is symbols. But there's a substance that lies behind the symbols that he wants you and me to get. So he goes on to say, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has what? Eternal life. And I will raise that person up at the last day. It doesn't mean that you're going to live to be 575 years of age. It means that you're going to live a normal life, but on the last day you're going to be raised to eternal life. Because you don't really die forever. It's just your physical body dies. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. As we wrap up this part, I want to point you to one physical reality and and this is what I want you to get out of communion today. There are many, many wonderful things about Jesus. And here's the point. Jesus' teaching, His words, are those good? They're great. His teachings have formed the foundation for all of Western law and government. His word, He said, my word is, 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 is life to you. His promises, we cling to His promises as followers of Christ. And even His death and His miracles, all of that, they're all good, but they're not enough. Because what we really need 
Guess what? Jesus himself. And not just in the world, and not just in our community, and not just in the building this morning meeting with us. We need Jesus where? In here. I can remember, and still from time to time, when I hug my wife or I hug my children, I can remember specific times when I was hugging them that if there was any way that I I just wanted to hug them and never let go. And if there's any way that our spirits could be fused forever. I just wanted that. It's just the deepest, deepest, deepest kind of love. You're a parent, you probably had that. You know what that feels like. We just sort of want to hang on to your kids and never let go of them. The truth is, when we come to love Christ like we should, we don't just want Christ near us or close to us. We want him in us. So Jesus gave us a physical symbol. And that's the symbol of communion. Or some churches call it the Lord's Supper because it was at the Passover Supper. Or some churches call it Eucharist, which simply means to give thanks. This morning, I want you to imagine with me that, I'm, I'm kind of not up here, that Jesus is here, and Jesus is holding the tray. And what does he say? This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood. I want all of you to drink it, to eat it in remembrance of me. Because in essence, that's what communion is. I'm going to pray and the ushers are going to be passing trays. And I want to invite you to take the bread and break it. It represents Christ's body. Before you drink the cup, look at it and think, this is Christ. And I'm taking Christ in to me. I'm not just doing this to remember him out there. I want Christ in here, in me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. We bless you for your goodness manifested to us that you would drink the poison of death so that we would not have to be eternally separated from our Heavenly Father, but that we could be forgiven and that we could be purified and cleansed so that we might be ready to be received into heaven. Lord, right now, we drink and we eat that you might come and be in us. We bless you for it. In Jesus' name. Uh, in Southern California was great in a lot of ways. Do we have any Southern Californians in the house this morning? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of great things about Southern California. One of the things we don't have in Southern California, though, is seasons, right? The summer is hot and dry, and the rest of the year is, is kind of warm and mostly dry, right? That, that's our seasons in Southern California, and for better or for worse, that's just kind of the way that it is for us. But because I didn't have seasons growing up, I came to love Northern California for the differences in climate. 
Now, my wife came from Wisconsin, and she says, I don't know seasons, but she's from the Midwest, and what do they know? Let's be honest. <laughs> she's glaring at me through the nursing mother's room in the back. This is scary. Uh, I love Northern California, specifically the springtime. I don't know if you're like me, but I don't mind the rain. Sure, our kids are trapped inside, and it makes being creative a little more difficult, but I love the rain, and I love driving on Petaluma Hill Road. We live in Roner Park, and so I get to drive Petaluma Hill Road at least once a day. And I love looking at the hills because when the spring comes and the rains hit, man, those dirty, brown, dead hills just come to life. Bright greens, yellows, oranges, purples, even the weeds are beautiful. And when the sun hits it, there's nothing better. You can't draw a picture as beautiful as the hills in the spring in Northern California. Why is that? Well, it's the water. The water takes something that's dead and dormant and brings it back to life. And we know that around the world, when we look at nature, water is this amazing part of life. Water takes things that were dead and it brings them back to life. And we know that in our own lives, right? The human body needs around four 16-ounce bottles of water a day to thrive. And that doesn't count coffee, I found out recently, which is disappointing. In hot weather, your body can live without food and without water, specifically without water, in hot weather for only two days. Now compare that to the fact that if you had water, your body could survive for four to six weeks without food. And you get the idea that other than air, water really is one of those defining things that we need to survive, to sustain us. Water brings us life. But the other thing about water is that water brings death. Not enough water can kill. Uh, Right around four children under the age of five die every minute around the world because of lack of clean drinking water which is a statistic that just breaks my heart. I don't know, when you hear that and you imagine your kids under the age of five dying because they just don't have clean water to drink, does that break your heart? I know it does because uh, our chili cook-off that we have coming up next month, the proceeds are going to help build a well, get clean drinking water to a community that doesn't have water. As a church, we know that water brings life and we need to be part of making a difference. And so we're raising money to give to charitywater.org, which is going to help build wells in third world countries. It's this amazing organization. We also know that too much water can bring death. Uh, the tsunami in Japan is a reminder, a horrible reminder of that reality. That is, a wall of water came up over the coast of Japan. Thousands and tens of thousands of people have died. And I want us to hold this tension of life and death with water for the next 10 minutes or so. Because we can't fully understand baptism unless we understand the tension that water brings, that it causes life, it brings life, but at the same time, there's death associated with it. That word baptism, when we look in the New Testament, literally means to submerge or to immerse, to take under the water, which signifies a dying. The Bible says that when we go under the water, we are dying to an old way of being, and then to come up out of the water, which the Bible says signifies a newness of life a restoring, a healing, a new way of viewing things, a new way of understanding family and friends, a new way of understanding work, a new way of understanding leisure time, a new way of understanding what's mine and what's yours. And this whole new reality, this new way of being is formed on the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul in Romans 6 can talk about the fact that we die to this old way of being and we're raised to a new way of being. Look what he says 
in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. And there's this argument going on that if God, uh, through Jesus, has brought about this new movement of grace, this new uh, spirit of God's drawing us in and accepting us, that we should just sin even more so that God's grace will abound. And Paul says, no, that's not it at all. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? Verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I'm going to unpack that for us a little bit, but we need to know that in the early church, for the early Christians, when we read the Bible, we're reading the history, the story of this early group of believers, the early church around the ancient world. And for the early church, baptism really can be wrapped up in three words, experiencing, embracing, and identifying. You see, for the early church, they were experiencing God's transforming love. There was this new movement of God that Jesus Christ brought. His death and his resurrection, when he died and when he raised from the dead, it brought about a new movement of God. And they sensed it. They felt it. It was so close they could almost touch it and taste it. And they formed these communities around this experience of God's transforming love. And then they began to embrace the reality that Jesus' death and resurrection broke the power of sin, broke the power of destruction, broke the power of death in their lives, and it brought them back to God. That's why Paul says, should we keep on sinning so that God's grace may come? No, we've died to sin. When we were baptized, we went into the water, we died to an old way of being, and we were raised up to this new way of being. They were experiencing God's love, and they were embracing the reality that God's sacrifice through Jesus ended the power of sin. Later on in Romans, Paul says, you know what? The things I want to do, I find myself not able to do. And the things that I don't want to do, the things that I know are destructive, I keep doing. Can you resonate with that? Have you ever had those moments? Man, I just have these cycles that keep happening, and I want to get out of them, but they just seem to keep going. And then I want to do this right thing, but the thing that I want to do, it, it doesn't seem to happen. Paul says, I feel this tension. It's like sin has made me its slave. I have these shackles on. I've been chained up. I can't get away. Who will save me? And then Paul answers his own question. He says, praise be to God through Jesus Christ, who breaks the power of sin in our lives. That's why the Bible says when we come to Christ, we're a new creation. The old life has passed, and a new life has begun. It hasn't fully consummated yet. We aren't fully the people that God created us to be today. We still sin. We still make mistakes. But the old life, the power of sin is gone. It's broken. It's dead. Sin had the final word. We were dead. We were separated from God. But Jesus brought us back. He broke the power and we're a new creation. So for the early church, baptism was about experiencing. It was about embracing, and it was about identifying. Identifying with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, which led to a new way of living, guided by the Spirit of God. In verse 4, Paul says, We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Notice that it doesn't say we were buried like Christ. 
We were buried out of respect to Christ when we were baptized. It says we were actually buried with Christ when we were baptized. There's this amazing identification that happened in the early church when they were baptized. They said, you know what? I've experienced, I'm embracing, and I want to identify with you in an intimate way. When we're baptized, we, we identify with God in a way that we could never do outside of baptism. When we're baptized, we free up God's spirit to move in our lives in a unique way. It's this amazing identification, which is why at New Life we say, when you become a follower of Jesus, the next step is to get baptized. Because it's about experiencing, embracing, and identifying with Jesus. And this picture, it's not something we made up at the church. It's something that comes from Scripture. All over the Bible, you see people having this experience. They experience God's love. They embrace the reality that sin does not have a final say. Sin does not have control of their lives. Their lives are not destined to be the thing that they've made it. God can redeem, restore, reheal, re- repair. Uh, and then they embraced it through baptism. And it's over and over again. But I want to highlight one. This is my favorite story uh, about baptism. And it comes from Acts chapter 8. It's about a guy named Philip, and he's an everyday kind of guy. And the Spirit, the Spirit of God says to him, You know what, Philip? Go to a desert road and wait for me there. I'm going to tell you what to do. And Philip wants to experience miracles. He wants to experience God. So when God says go, he says, okay, here I go. So he goes to a desert road, and he's waiting, and a caravan comes on the road, and it's got an Ethiopian official in it. And God says, run up next to the caravan and just start running and listening. And so Philip does. He runs up as, as dumb as he looks, and he probably looks pretty dumb. Let's be honest. He runs up next to this caravan, and he's just, he's trucking, He's been working for this moment. He's been working out, so he's feeling good. And, uh, and he hears the guy reading out of Isaiah, and he says to the Ethiopian official, do you understand what you're reading? And the official says, how could I understand if no one tells me? Philip, get in with me and tell me what this says. And so Philip hops in, and, and from that point in Scripture, Philip tells him the good news about Jesus Christ. And it's this amazing moment. The guy says, you know what? I'm experiencing God's love. I'm embracing the reality that Jesus' death and resurrection brought about new life. He has a conversion experience. And look what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What could stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. I love that story because of the immediate nature. Experience, embrace, identify. Friends, there are some of you here today who have experienced the transforming love of God. You've embraced the reality that Jesus' death and resurrection brings about new life, but you have never identified with Jesus in his death and resurrection through your baptism. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Uh, We haven't done this before, but I really believe that God, there's some of you here, that God's saying you've experienced, you've embraced, it's time to identify, so come down. I want to say to you, just like the Ethiopian Official said to Philip, he said, look, there's some water. What would stop me from being baptized? And the true answer is nothing would stop you from being baptized. But I just want to highlight a few things that you might think would stop you from being baptized. The first is uh, modesty. I'm wearing a light shirt, and I don't want to come down and show, show off everything to everyone. This is a church, Kevin. Don't be crazy. I want to tell you, we've got oversized dark shirts for you to throw on over your clothes so you can hop in the water. So don't worry about clothes. We've got a towel for you to dry off. And you know what? It's going to be a little uncomfortable on your way home, but you're identifying with Jesus in his death, okay? It's okay to be uncomfortable for 20 minutes. This is part of the experience of engaging with God. Maybe you're saying, you know what? I don't think I'm ready yet. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. I'm not all that I should be. And the truth is, you're not. And that's why you need to come to Jesus. 
Are you available to him? Maybe you're saying, my friends and my family aren't here and I want them to experience baptism with me. The truth is, baptism is not about your family. It's about identifying with Jesus in an intimate way. But I want you to know we have a photographer here and he'll take pictures for you and you can show them to your family. You can tell them the story. I came to church one day wearing all my clothes and you know what? God stirred something in me and I hopped in this warm pool of water, by the way, this warm pool of water, and I got baptized. And it's going to be an amazing story. I will tell you, take your phone out because it will go down into the water into death, but it will not raise to new life. (laughs) Maybe you're not sure if this is the right time. You're saying, you know what? We have baptisms every couple months. I'll just do it next time. Friends, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're just not. None of us is. Now is always the best time to experience God. Now is always the best time to follow him. So here's how this is going to work. The worship team's going to come up right now. And they're going to play a few songs, a few worship songs. We're all going to stand together and we're going to worship God together. If you sense God is drawing you, Ron and I are going to be up front. You're going to come up to us. Bring a family member. Bring a friend. You know what? If you're by yourself, just grab somebody next to you if you're uncomfortable. They'll come with you. Come down to us. And we're going to ask you what's called the confession of faith. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died, that he rose again, and have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? And if you answer yes to that, we are going to help you into the water, and we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are going to invite you to encounter God in one of the most intimate ways you ever could. Would you join me? Let's pray. And then we're going to stand and worship. And if God is calling you, just come down. Don't feel awkward. This community will celebrate with you. This is one of the most amazing times in your journey with God. Come down and be baptized. Come down to the water. Join me and let's pray. Lord, we ask uh, now that you would be honored in our worship. We have remembered you through communion, and now we remember you through our baptisms, the times when we were baptized, and for our friends who have not been baptized, who have come into a relationship with you. uh, We honor you for the fact that they, they will come and they'll be baptized and they will know you in an intimate way. Lord, would you be with us in this moment, be very real, be very present. Holy Spirit, if there are people here who, who are just right on the fence, don't know if they should get baptized today, would you just draw them? Would you stir them? Would you give them the courage to get up and take this step to identify with you in this most unique way? We love you so much, God, and we are so excited to be with you in this moment. Amen. So would you join me now and stand up and worship? And if God's stirring in you to come get baptized, just come on down. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.